Nation, have you heard about the Rocketbook? The Rocketbook has completely changed how I am able to find my notes. Last year, when I cleaned my office, I had accumulated 14 legal pads full of notes for the year 2020. Well, I cannot find anything in those 14 legal pads. The Rocketbook allows you to take notes in the same way you're used to, hand to pen to paper, and you can then scan that using their app and you can search your notes. You can go look for that last time you interfaced with that customer, put a few keywords in there and it will pop up. This is a complete game changer with how you take notes and especially with how you do account surveys. Go to our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash rocketbook to get 15% off your first order of $20 or more. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And Nation, always at the top of the show, I try to let you know about all the events that are going on so you will not miss them. One thing I want to talk about is the Water Expo Live in Miami. That's going to be August 24th through 26th. If you are interested in going to that, we've got information on our show notes page. Of course, we have the ASHI Annual 2021 Conference in Nashville. That also includes a virtual component. So if you can't make it to Nashville, you can at least attend some of the seminars online. And then we've got the Association of Water Technologies Convention. That is coming up. The registration is open. It's going to be September 22nd through September 25th. All these things coming up. So if you are in the water treatment industry, check out our show notes page so you can keep track of all the things that are going on. In fact, one of the things that I want to remind you of is The Hang. I have met so many of you through The Hang. I've even had some people that I've met on The Hang come on this podcast. So please, if you have not registered for the next hang that's going to be August 12th, go ahead and do that right now by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. Well, Nation, one of my favorite things on this podcast, besides meeting new people, is bringing people that I know and have not spoken with in a while on this podcast so I can catch up with them and you all can be along for the listen. Well, that is exactly what I have done today. I've invited my good friend, Marty Stevens on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And folks, I have to tell you, Marty, I cannot say enough good things about him. And he has since sold his business, which you're gonna learn about. And I've been doing some other things. We've kind of drifted apart a little bit. Well, you're gonna hear us come right back together and catch up just like we just spoke with each other yesterday. So ladies and gentlemen, here's Marty Stevens. Scout Up Nation, one of my favorite things to do is to meet new friends and also reconnect with old friends. And that's exactly what I'm doing here today. 
I'm very excited to introduce my lab partner today, Marty Stevens. Marty, so pleased to have you on the podcast. How are you? I am doing well, Trace. Hey, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, I've been looking forward to this ever since we've talked about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Well, I think it's going to be a fun interview. You and I go way back if you look at it. I tell you what, we we do go way back. I was thinking about that leading up to today. It's, uh, gosh, when did probably 2008, nine. I was thinking six or seven, but maybe you're right. Okay. Well, you know, it's usually longer than you think. Yeah, but you probably are right. Uh, we, we were able to meet uh, through AWT, and uh, hey, that was... Uh, uh, certainly, one of the one of the highlights coming out of AWT was uh, meeting you in the relationship. I will definitely say that is that is one of the best things about getting involved with the Association of Water Technologies. I mean, you get so much out of it for yourself, but the relationships that I have today, the the friendships that I have, I mean, are, are just so well grounded within all the work that I, I did within the AWT. And, and definitely you and I would not have met if that wasn't the case. Hey, that's right. And I'm going to tell you that the AWT is really, uh, to me, just like everything else in that, whether it's your, your church or your scout troop or your bowling league, you're, you're going to get out of it, what, what you put into it. And that was certainly the case as I look back that, that AWT had on, on my career. Well, we're going to talk about all of that. And, you know, I'm just thinking uh, when we first met, I think I was on the marketing committee and it was before I was on the board of directors. And I think you and I met maybe in passing at a convention, perhaps. Maybe it was, um, I want to say, was it Nashville where you and I met? That was one of the first years that I came to the convention. So yeah, that would that would be about right. And that was my very first year as well. Okay, okay, we were both newbies, but where we really, really got to know each other uh, was, of course, serving on the board together. I tell you, that was uh, I, I really learned so much by serving on the association board. And, and Marty, I, you are one of those people, you, you were one of the directors that you wouldn't say a lot during the, the conversation, but then when you did say something, it was always so profound. You have the ability to take everything that we were talking about and, and wrap it up and, and put a Southern euphemism with it as well, <laughs> and, and it just crystallized what we were talking about. Well, I, I take that as a compliment. Well, and you should. We had a lot of fun, and that was really a great work group. Gosh, uh, Jay. Jay Farmery, yeah. Martin Lewis. Gosh, Mike Standish. Uh, but just a, a super group of people, and, and we truly enjoyed each other's company. We really did. Marty, I'm thinking back on one of my favorite euphemisms that you gave to the board. And it's no secret. At one time, there was an issue with the security of the CWT exam. And we were discussing that at the board level. Uh, lots of emotions going on because we, we were all CWTs. We really cared about it. We poured so much into it. And we were going around the table and everybody was sharing their thoughts. And we finally got to you and you just, I think you crossed your arms and you sat back and you said, well, fellas, this makes me about as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. 
And I just thought that was the most <laughs> brilliant thing I have ever heard. Well, it, hey, it painted a picture, did it not? It definitely did. It definitely did. Well, let's start there. How how did you start getting involved with the Association of Water Technologies? Did somebody ask you? Did you say, I really like what they've got going on there? I want to get involved. What was that story? You know, Trace, I was about a year into being an independent water treatment guy. And like most people, uh, at, at that point in your career, you're scared to death. Because, you know, you've got enough sense to realize you do not have all the answers. Uh, you don't know everything. And, and you're starting to figure out uh, there, there are really some blind spots here, either from a technical standpoint, uh, from a financial standpoint. Hey, I was a biology chemistry major. I knew nothing about finance. Insurance. Uh, I mean, all of these things that you're having to learn on the fly. E- e- any one of which could sink your proverbial ship. Man, when I heard about AWT and, and some of the resources uh, that, that were available, I thought, hey, sign me up. Uh, this, is, uh, this, this sounds like exactly what I need. Uh, and, and it was. Uh, it, uh, it met my expectation and, and then saw. Now, most people hear of all the resources that uh, an association like AWT will offer, and they're thinking, okay, well, I can take this, I can take that, I can take this. But you thought a little bit past that. You said, if I can take it, sure, but if I help build it, I'm going to be able to get more. How did you come to that conclusion? You know, Trace, I, I guess that's, uh, I would have to go back to my mom and dad to, to answer that question. I guess I was taught from an early age, we all have a responsibility uh, to give back. And, and that's really what I was referencing in the statement earlier. Uh, you, you get out of something what you put in it. And I felt led in the AWT experience to give back about year three or four, I suppose it was. And and that's when I started volunteering and raising my hand when, when people would ask for something. And, and it was a great experience. Well, let's back up even further because you're not only a water treater, you're a very well-accomplished water treater. How did all that begin? You know, I, Trace, I wound up in this industry really quite by accident. And I'm watching a son at this stage uh, now, you know, you're graduating from college and you're you're really starting to try to nail down what you're going to be when you grow up. And I, I went to college with full intention of being a doctor. It, you know, in high school, I looked around and I went, hey, I love biology. I love chemistry. Uh, math is kind of cool. And you look around the town and you go, hey, the doctors, they seem like they've got a pretty good gig going. So I thought, that's what I'll do. I'll be a physician. And it didn't work out that way. What changed my course was my, my parents were really, I, and, and I knew that they were having to do without to send me to college. I, I knew that. Uh, so to take a little of the pressure off, I started working while I was in college at UPS. And unfortunately, I the 11 o'clock p.m. to 2 a.m. shift in their unloading truck. And uh, your, your GPA does not hold up real well uh, when you're working for, for three hours in the middle of the night. 
And uh, I did that through, through college. And uh, when I graduated, I, my GPA was not competitive. Nobody wants a position with a sub 3.0 GPA. Not going to happen. So I, I was not competitive to get into, into medical school. And, and so I, I bounced and I did a few things. I waited tables and uh, I answered an ad in the paper. And I'll never forget it. It said looking for somebody for water treatment sales with a strong science background. And I thought, I'm your man. I'm all over that. So I, I met the guy for the interview and, and it, it obviously went well. And uh, he offered me the job before I left the interview. So that's how I got plugged into this crazy industry. And, and he was a super guy. Uh, he was great. to Matter of fact, uh, uh, the guy's name is Bruce Dempsey. And a lot of your listeners probably know Bruce. He spent most of his career, uh, the second half of his career, with Garrett Callahan. And Bruce retired a few years ago, and I, I still stay in touch with him. And he's the one that actually drug me into this uh, crazy business. And it was perfect. It was the perfect fit. I felt guilty for 35 years for actually taking a check for doing something that I probably would have done for free. Yeah, don't tell too many people about that. Yeah, I know. I know. Keep that under your hat, would you? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is the best job in the world. I say that all the time. Customers give us behind-the-stage tours of how products are made. They give us free products. They're so happy that we're there. We get to work with some of the best people. I mean, the vendors that supply our industry are awesome. I just cannot think of a better industry. You're right. Why, why do they pay us for this? That's right. You know, you, you hit on something that, that I think is important. You know, I think the trap in our industry and, and let's face it, you, you can make a better than average living doing what we do. It's, it's better than average. And a, a lot of people, I think, are drawn to the industry for that. But I, I think you're missing the, the joy in it. Well, let me, let me state it another way. I learned early, and, and I guess it goes back to my mom and dad again, but our focus should be on the customer. And, and I think anytime people, uh, anyone starts losing that focus, all of a sudden, if you're going to make the wrong decisions, it'll, it'll be a chore. And I think that's when it becomes a job. My career was served well by allowing the customer to always be your North Star. And, and sometimes you have to define, okay, who is my customer? And that's a smart little exercise to go through. But when you lose sight of who your customer is, or if you're, you're more interested in what's in it for me versus how can I serve my customer, I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think that's an excellent point. Well, since you brought it up, there are a lot of people out there that are either starting their careers or starting their water treatment companies. What should they be considering when they say, this is the type of customer that I want to serve? And it's funny that, that this comes up because my son and I were actually having a discussion last week. It wasn't about business, but I tied it back to business. We, we were actually talking about marriage. <laughs> and I know you're sitting there thinking, where in the world? Where's the Southern euphemism fixing to come from here? During the course of the conversation, I, I made the comment. Sometimes you, you have marriages that are competitive. Okay? One is trying to outgame the other, and it's always competition. 
And then you have those marriages that are that are cooperative. Okay, I'm going to give up what I want to to get something over here, and and you cooperate. You're somewhat going in the same direction, and you're not butting heads. But then you have collaborative. Oh, collaborative is fantastic. You're looking out for the other guy's needs. No, you have a common goal, and you're both putting all of your energies toward that common goal. Well, really, this, the, and that's a fine marriage. Let me just tell you, from experience, that's a good marriage. In, in business, I, I see it being very, very similar. Those are the three types of relationships that you typically will have with your customer. It's either going to be hopefully collaborative uh, to where you finally, you, you both trust each other to the point that it's not, hey, how's that guy out trying to get me? How's he trying to boost his sales at my expense? It goes way past that phrase. And, and you have two people that are working toward a common goal, and that takes communication. In marriage and in business, it, it takes communication. Unfortunately, it, so to answer your question, I think the type business that, that I was always drawn to, that I thoroughly enjoyed, were those that I saw that could develop into a collaborative relationship. Sometimes it was wrong. Uh, some Sometimes I misread it. Price was always, always the driving factor. But if if I could give a piece of advice, it would be to, to seek out those customers that could be your collaborators going forward. I think that's great advice. You brought up price. And a lot of customers are motivated by price. And then a lot of times you think you're having that collaboration and things are going great. And then all of a sudden it gets reduced back down to price. You've had a very successful water treatment career. I know that's come up multiple times in your career. How do you suggest we deal with that? How do we take price and really emphasize value of what's going on? and what we're bringing to the table, at the same time making our customer feel good about what they're paying? Well, that's, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? That's why I asked it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think the first step to answer that question, Trace, is to help the customer see the difference between price and value. Price is how much you pay for something. Value is how much something you get for what you pay. It sounds like a play on words, but it really is not. I think a lot of times we as as salespeople, we miss educating our customers on the value that we are truly bringing. And I, I think that's a mistake. I've lost business on price before. And, and usually, if you went back and did a postmortem, I did a really poor job of, of selling the value that I was providing. Yeah, I would say in the postmortem of accounts where we've had the same issue, when things are going well, we tend to gloss over what value we're bringing. That's right. And then when things aren't going well or the perception is something's not going right, and then you bring that up, it's almost too late. Right. I, I would agree with you. So maybe what we all need to do is whenever we're in front of the customer is what is the one thing I'm going to show that I'm bringing the value for during today's meeting? And we never give up that opportunity. Well, I, I think that is key. 
one thing that I used to always try to help my guys understand, Trace, is the fact that that you are always selling. You're always selling. Even on a service call, you're selling. Uh, you're selling your company. You're selling yourself. You're selling your products. You're selling your abilities. Even on the service call, when you have on the grubby clothes and you're sweaty and you've got hard hat hair, you're selling. And I think a lot of times it's it's so easy to, to overlook that. Yeah, and I think we get locked into how many tasks can we get done this day instead of focusing on what's the reason we're doing the tasks. You're right. Uh, and, and hopefully some people are listening out there in the in scale-up nation that, uh, that, that that strikes a chord. I, I certainly hope so. Well, Marty, tell us about your first day in the water treatment business. And then I want to involve all the way to the point where you said, I want to do this for myself. Okay. Uh, gosh, how long does the podcast run, Trace? Oh, uh, we can we can break it up into twenty three <laughs> segments. I know I was I was teasing that that could be a very long story. The one thing that I remember about my first day on the job with with Bruce, the guy that I was telling you about earlier, with Bruce, uh, we we went to an industrial laundry, and he was talking to me about grabbing samples and how you grab a representative sample, and and I was so focused on listening to him and doing you know what he said. And I noticed that he had a pair of fuse pullers and he would hold, uh, he used the Erlenmeyer flask uh, to grab his samples and uh, he would grab it, grab it with a fuse puller and he would go over there to that hot sample, you know, and he would, he would flush it and clean the cleaning and retrieve the sample. And he gave me the Erlenmeyer to grab my first sample. It's a big moment, Trace. And it was a boiler sample. It was an uncooled Bowler sample. I didn't even think about the fuse pullers. Okay. I mean, I was a pretty mechanical kid. I had good sense. But for some reason, I was so focused on my technique that I didn't think about burning the poo out of my fingers. So that, that glass Erlenmeyer, man, I held it up there and the, the Erlenmeyer, of course, wound up in a thousand pieces. I was so embarrassed. I was thinking, oh, they're fixing to fire me just right out of the box here, you know. And and Bruce said, he said, I saw you going. I saw what you were doing. And I let it happen. He said, because I knew that you would never make that mistake again. So that's the one thing that I remember uh, learning on my first day. That's the one thing that I do remember about my first day that, uh, that has stuck with me all these years. Marty, I have to tell you, I think there's so much from that story because when people are trained today, I think the trainers are focused on making sure that they don't make any mistakes. And the story you just shared was, I got to make the mistake. He saw the mistake was going to happen. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He let me make it. And now I learned why never to do that again. I really think on us trying to protect people, wh whether we're trying to protect them or get them to save time so they don't repeat the mistakes that we do, I think that's one of the key things that, that we leave out on, on how we train today is we don't allow people to make mistakes. And would you agree, Trace, that, that, that you have probably learned more in your, well, I started to say career, but I'll say in your life by the mistakes that you have made. Absolutely. I think that's the best teacher. Absolutely. 
I mean, Marty, you could tell me exactly what that was going to feel like. It was going to get hot. It was going to shatter into a million pieces, but I didn't experience it. And until you experience it, you really don't have the gravity of the why behind it. And the second part of your question was, how did I wind up starting a business? I, I think that was the gist of, of, your, of your question. I actually spent two years with Guardian Industrial Products in Birmingham. That's uh, where I got my start. I wound up going to work uh, after a couple of years with the Intech division of, of BETS. And, uh, hey, I spent 10 years with, uh, with BETS, a good experience. Great training and made some good friends. I mean, it was it was really good. But but you mentioned earlier about a culture change in a company uh, that 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 uh, you were aware of. Well, it, 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 the same thing happened. And I, in my opinion, in my opinion, the customer service kind of fell to the side, and profitability became uh, more important than customer service. And unfortunately, you see that in a lot of businesses. In a lot, in a lot of businesses, you see where profitability becomes more important. My opinion that is that is a fatal mistake in business. Do I understand that your business has to be profitable? Wait, do I? Yes, but it can never be at the expense of customer service, customer satisfaction, and 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 that was the box that I found myself in. No real offense to bets, but at the time, internally, they were really trying to figure out what market segment are we going to commit to? What is going to be our market? Well, that, that middle market, was, uh, which is where I cut my teeth, was, was really being left behind. And I felt like I was uh, betraying customers by leaving them behind. So one thing led to another. I, I wound up resigning. Uh, I, I quit my job, and uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, Trace. And uh, uh, my wife, Carolyn, we were, were talking one night, and she said, you know, why don't you start your own business, your own water treatment business? And I said, sweetheart, that, that's the stupidest idea that I've ever heard in my life. There's, there's no <laughs> way that I could do that. And, uh, you know, she persisted. And uh, actually, it was Carolyn that, that pushed me uh, in that direction. Uh, I had some friends that, that I'd made over the year, the years that, that were quite helpful in helping me get started. And, you know, hey, that's how I wound up in the water treatment business. And, and Trace, it's funny. I, I remember that first year thinking, if there's any way I could sell $100,000 worth of business, I think I can feed my family. And, and keep them from starving to death. And, you know, hey, we, we beat that goal. I beat that goal the first year. And it's just been a great ride ever since. And then there came to a point where you hired your first employee. Yes, I, you know, I, I did. And, and that, uh, that was exciting. But at the same time, you, you realize at that point that you're at least partially responsible for somebody else's well-being in life. And then you, at night, you get thinking, they've got children. Oh, my goodness. So instead of really one person, whether I do wrong or right, that, that now I've got four people depending on, including mine. 
And now, now the numbers start to grow. And, and you know, for me, that was the, the big pressure. We looked up in, in 2012, we had 24, five or six uh, employees. And, and of course, you know me, I'd done the math on the families and it was about 75 people. And, and the pressure that I felt was, boy, I can't screw up. You know, uh, I've got, they have kids in college, therefore I have kids in college. They have house notes that are coming due and ultimately I'm responsible for that. So yeah, that's, that's the pressure that comes. But I think the, the pluses far outweigh the negative. Uh, at least for me, they did. But that was the big concern was looking at the people that you've got depending on. When you look back, owning your company, your biggest success, your biggest triumph was? I guess, I guess one of the highlights that I remember, and this was vivid, it was the first year that we were going to break $2 million in sales. Okay, that was... Actually, that was higher than the goal that year. And everybody from from our office manager up or down, depending on how you want to look at that, everybody was focused on, oh, we can do this, we can do this. And right at the end of the year, I mean, that week between Christmas and New Year's, okay, when, when everybody, nobody really wants to see and they certainly don't want to buy anything, we're like 1.993. On, on our annual sales. And I remember the day that that we got the order that pushed us over. And the people went nuts. Who, who I remember most is our office manager at the time, a sweet, sweet lady named Angie. Uh, Angie threw a party for everybody. And it was uh, uh, not the party like you would picture. I mean, we were out in the parking lot freezing to death, throwing bottle rockets. <laughs> you know, that was that was the celebration. But it was so cool because everybody uh, felt as though they were a part and they had contributed and we had, had reached our goal. And, and there were several times in, the, in, in my career where you, where you had things like that that would happen and, and everybody was engaged and everybody was involved. And th- those times are special. They're special. So tell us about a time if you could take a mulligan in your career, what would that be? Oh wow! You know, let, let me answer it like this, phrase. I, I'm if I had it all to do over again, okay. And I'm I'm looking back thirty five years back. If if I had to do it all over again, honestly, I can't think of one thing that I would do differently. Now, there are probably some little tweaks that I would make here and there, but but as far as the main pivot points, the main events, I can't think of a biggie that I would change. The one thing that I regret, I guess there are a few regrets, and everybody has everybody has something as they look back. Relationships along the way uh, that that were were lost. Uh, due to business. And, you know, is there an excuse for that? No, there really isn't. Because business should never trump a friendship. But we, we have those things in our society and in our lives, like greed, like jealousy, 
you know, and, and that, unfortunately, uh, people, people have those flaws and sometimes they play themselves out in, in relationship. You, you regret it. You try to minimize it. Uh, and I've even gone back and tried to fix them. And, and, and sometimes you just have to accept the fact that you, you can't. That's unfortunate. But if I have any regrets, I can think of just a, just a smattering of relationship over the years that aren't there today, directly or indirectly because of business. Yeah, I think there's a lot of insight that can be drawn from that. And when you get right down to it, life's about relationships. I know we try to make it about other things, but it truly is about how you build each other up in in our lives. That's right. Marty, after a successful career, there came a point where you decided to move over to the next version of your life and you were going to sell your company. Can you tell the nation a little bit about that? Yeah, I think I should say first, though, Trace, that really wasn't something that I was seeking. You know, it found me. I didn't find it. You, you see a lot of people in our industry. It's like they're always trying to sell their business. They're honing it to sell. I was not. Now, I, I'll turn around and say this, if I could give a piece of advice there. I think everybody should be operating their business as if they were going to put it on the market. And that's what we do with our vehicles, uh, you know, and, and sometimes, well, if I decide if I decided this afternoon that, that I was going to sell my truck tomorrow, what's the first thing that I'm going to go out there and do this afternoon before it gets dark? I'm going to wash it. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to take care of all the little details, the stuff that, that I know uh, looks bad with that truck. And, and I'm going to try to uh, buff it up and get it ready to sell. We should be maintaining our businesses in the same way. Fortunately, I was, not so I could sell it, but so that I could operate that business efficiently. It runs better when it's in tip-top. Out of the blue, I, I got a call one day from, from uh, Al Bly. And Al, as you know, uh, owned U.S. Water for a number of years, founded U.S. Water. And I knew of Al, but I really didn't know Al that that, that well. And he he asked about my business. And my first response, Trace, was, hey, Mr. Bly, I am flattered. I really am. A phone call like this, man, thank you. But I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, the business really isn't for sale. So we, uh, we, we talked on a little longer and, and uh, we agreed to at least get together for, for a cup of coffee or dinner or have a beer. And so we did. And once we started talking, it looked like a true example of being synergy, of adding two and two and coming up with five. And so, you know, we agreed that it would be in U.S. Water's best interest and in Kim Technologies slash Solar, and it would be in our best interest. So that's what uh, we agreed. And man, it was good. Just before we closed the deal, Carolyn asked me, again, my wife came to me and said, well, are you going to go with the business? Are you going to work for, for Al? And I thought, I said, you know what? I never asked him. I'm, I'm not sure. So I called. <laughs> I called. <laughs> you know, I just realized what a really crummy negotiator I am. Do I still have a job? <laughs> 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 and, and uh, you know, Al chuckled and, and said, 
absolutely. As a matter of fact, I won't do the deal without you. Of course, you still got a job. As long as you want a job, you've got a job. And so the decision was made at that point. I, I felt like it put uh, our customers in a better position. I felt like it put our employees in a better position uh, for growth and, and stability. And I felt like it third, and in that order, it was good for my family. So that led to our joining the U.S. Water family, and it was a good experience. Marty, let me ask you about people, because that's what a company is. It's about people. And whenever a transition goes on, it's just human nature. You think the worst is going to happen. How do you make sure that the right information gets out, that people feel good about the decisions, that they're even part of those decisions? What did you do in that instance? You know, looking back, I, I, I probably could have done some things differently. Hey, there's my regret that we were talking about earlier. Okay. I guess I expected people to see for themselves the, the advantages, the, the pluses. And if something came up that was, was different, people hate change. People absolutely hate change. Change freaks people out. And I should have accepted that as fact earlier instead of assuming that everybody's big boys and they, you know, put on your, your big boy pants and let's get this done. Now, that's not important. You're, you're worried about whether they're going to provide a Ford or a Chevrolet. That, that, who cares? Who cares? The fact of the matter is you, you, you're getting a vehicle to go do your job. Uh, and and people sometimes get hung up in the details, uh, and, and 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 certainly when when two companies come together, there's a lot of change, and you have to be a good broker of change for that to be a smooth transition. And in our case, it was not always a smooth transition. People would get to looking over here at this as a as a problem when that's not the problem. This our problems are the same. That's taking care of our customers. Regardless of what label is on the drum, you know, guys, your job hadn't changed. But I should have, I should have been a, a, a little more sensitive to that. I could have been instead of just, come on, guys, get real. That's not important. I, I should have been more sensitive. So now looking back, best decision ever? If I had it to do over again, I would do the exact same thing. Now, are there some things that could have streamlined it and, and made it go better? Sure, absolutely. But was it a move that I would repeat? I would do the exact same thing as far as joining the U.S. water family. Yeah. I'm sure there are people out there listening and they're probably going through something like this right now or maybe thinking about going through it. And I love your car analogy, you know, make sure your business is in order. Even if you're not planning on selling it, you can run it better. What were some of the top things you looked at in your company? What was one of the top KPIs that you knew your company was running the way it should when you walked in the door and you saw that number? There were probably 10 or 12 factors that I would evaluate or that I would ask our customers to evaluate. One of the biggies for me was on-time delivery. How good a job are we doing on, on getting our product to the right place within the promised time frame? And on a customer survey, and I, I was big on customer surveys. 
I don't, I don't know if you remember that about me. But, but I would go to our customers at least annually and, and ask for feedback. You know, how are we doing in this area? And, and one of the areas that, that I would probe into was just that, on, on delivery. How good a job are we doing on getting the product to the right place? And the feedback that I got was, was actually good, but in my opinion, it wasn't good enough. Another set of metrics that we use, we were an uh, ISO 9002 certified production facility. And, and that was the one that I weighed on was delivery. And, and I remember the last year, I remember the number, we were like 92.8%. And, and you, we, where our goal was to be above 90% on everything. So the guys were like, yes, we hit it. And uh, I said, guys, I'm not satisfied. What are you talking about? And I said, how can we get that number even higher? Is there any way that we could ship every order that we receive by, say, three or four o'clock in the afternoon? Could we commit to ship that product that day? And the looks that I got were like, you are an idiot. (laughs) But I think you've always got to approach your business like that. One, there are metrics that you've got to follow. Number two, I I think you've always got to be pushing. What the guys wanted me to do was back off of the push and, hey, we could drop that back down to about 90% compliance. No. What can we do to get to 95? (laughs) Sometimes you, you need to be realistic in your goals. I think you always need to be realistic in your in your goal. But at the same time, I think you've always got to push yourself and ask yourself, what can we do to get a little bit better? Marty, let's put your 35 years of water treatment experience to good use. We've got a lot of people that listen to this show that have just started in the industry. What advice would you give them? What advice? Well, we've, we've kind of hit at it a little bit, Trace, with a mantra that will always serve you well. Always let your customer demand that your customer be your North Star. And when you make a, a program change, when, you, when you're servicing the account, anything to do with that uh, piece of business, every decision you make should be made in light of how is it going to impact that customer? How is it going to benefit that customer? And then to, to bring a conversation back in that you and I had a little bit earlier, be sure you tell the customer what you were doing and how that benefits them. Because I, I think that's a big mistake that we all make sometimes. We assume that the customer understands when we increase their cycles of concentration that that's a good thing. Help them translate that to U.S. dollars on the water bill. Don't assume that they know. And don't just say, hey, this is going to save you some water. Tell them it's going to save you about $2,500 a year in water costs. They understand that. They get that. The other thing, Trace, that I would say, don't take yourself too seriously. Loosen up and have a little bit of fun. These are people that we're dealing with day in, day out. And if if you can't put a smile on their face, while you're putting a smile on your face, that's okay. It can be a mutual smiley thing. But have fun and, and don't be quite so uptight. Man, life is so much better and easier when we have fun. That's great advice no matter where you are in your career. Water treatment business or not, right? 
Absolutely. Marty, this has been great. Uh, I know you listen to the show, so you've heard me ask the lightning round questions before. So that's where we're going next. Uh, hit me. Okay, if you're ready for it, Marty, you now have the ability to go back in time, talk to yourself on your very first day as a water treater where you drop the Erlenmeyer flask. What advice would you give yourself? Never sacrifice character. I, and, and that has served me well, but, but I would remind myself 35 years ago, never to sacrifice who you are to fit some sort of business mold. Be true to yourself. It would be an injustice to not be who you are. You know, just thinking back about you and I being on the board, you and I didn't always agree. But we always disagreed agreeably, and we would always hear the other party out, and we would normally come up with something better than what we originally thought we could do on our own. And I don't think that could happen if we weren't secure in, in who we were, and, and we were worried about what somebody else thought, so we were going to change based on that. I love that advice. I think that's apparent in everything I've seen you do. Well, thank you for saying that. Can you imagine, Trace, how much better our, our world would be, our, our communities, our country, if everybody would, would follow that advice? We, we're so busy hollering at each other, trying to get the, the other guy to see my point of view and, and vice versa, that uh, we don't really hear each other. And I, I think that's one of the biggest social problems that we have out there, right? Truer words have never been spoken. Marty, what are some of the books that you're reading right now? I'm actually doing a redo right now. One of the first Grisham books that I ever read was A Time to Kill. And, and I read that book initially back in the late 80s, I mean, right about the time that it came out. It was fantastic. And, and I, I read Grisham for years. I'm actually rereading A Time to Kill. I know what's going to happen, but in, <laughs> in, in the 30 years, uh, I've, I've, I've forgotten a lot. So uh, it's, I'm actually enjoying that a great deal. I read a lot of, uh, there's an author named Greg Isles. He's from Mississippi, a fine uh, Southern gentleman. I've, I've read everything Greg Isles. I really got hooked on, on Isles uh, for, for a while. I'll tell you a reread that I did recently. Uh, it is it's one of those good ones. Uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great. That's a good one to pick up and reread ever so often, isn't it, Trace? There's so many great quotes in that book. There's so many tools that he refers to. Uh, the imagery is great. I, I can't think of a business meeting that I've been to that somebody does not bring up something from that book. That's right. When Hollywood makes a movie about Marty, who plays Marty Stevens? You know, I, I would like to say somebody really cool, <laughs> but, you know, as I think about it, I, I, what I would love, Tom Hanks is one of my favorite actors in the whole wide world, and selfishly, I would hope that it would be somebody like Tom Hanks, but you know what I would like even better? If it were the next Tom Hanks, the guy that we don't even know yet, that, that is going to get a shot, and, and he does such a good job that that he he becomes a success. I want it to be the next Tom Hanks that, that plays me in the movie. 
Well, you get extra points. I don't think anybody's ever made up an actor or a future actor. So you get extra points for that. <laughs> Marty, my final question. You can now talk with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Who would I want to talk to throughout history? No limit on how far back I can go. It could be present day, as far back as you want to go. All right. As a Christian, I would love to go back and have a conversation with Jesus Christ when he was on earth, wearing sandals with nasty feet. That's who I would love to spend an afternoon with to get a lot of the theories and the the thoughts and the the depth of the love and the compassion. I would love to spend an afternoon with that. That would be my historical person. There you go. See, I'm thinking he'll give you a bunch of parables that would take multiple lifetimes to figure out exactly what he's saying. That's right. It's taken 58 to figure out the the few that are there, you know, and I'm still working (laughs) on those. Well, Marty, thank you so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O. This has been a a fun interview. So good catching up with you. And I, I just love that we're now introducing you to this Scaling Up Nation. So thank you for everything that you've shared with them. And Trace, again, I thank you for the opportunity. And hey, hopefully I can see you in person in the near future. Nation, when I think back of my time on the Association of Water Technologies Board, I have to tell you, Marty just taught me so much. So many people that were on the board during the time where I was on for the first three years as a director. And then my next term of three years where I was elected to president-elect and then served as president and then the immediate past president, serving that organization allowed me to do something that I really enjoyed. But how it paid me back was I got to meet these incredible people that shaped me when I was very young. I was just starting out my company. And as you hear me say all the time, I didn't know what I didn't know. And through strengthening those friendships and pouring into the AWT as much as I could, people wanted to help me because I was helping other people. And people like Marty just shared information with me. If I had a question, Marty was right there to give me the answer. And I can say that about every single person that I served on the board with. Now, AWT was the right match for me, but maybe it's one of these other organizations that we talked about at the very top of the episode. My point is, If you don't put yourself out there so you are doing good for the industry that we are in, it's going to be a lot harder for people to pour into you. So find something that you can pour into. Let that be the goal that you're giving. But I promise if you do that well, you will be on the receiving end of so many riches. Speaking of riches, one of ours that we get every single week is a new James's challenge. Here's the next installment. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is...
When using the EDTA titration method for total hardness testing, add a couple of drops of titrant in prior to the indicator to eliminate other metal interference. But don't forget to take into account those drops in the total drop count or usage. When a friend and colleague of mine shared this little tip years ago, it helped make my total hardness endpoints sharper and easier to read. Assuming I wasn't trying to test low hardness waters that only would have taken a couple of drops of titrant to begin with. Give it a try and see how it compares to your current practice. Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Nation, I remember when I learned this from my father. I could not get a hardness test to work and when he showed me that I could put EDTA in before I started doing my testing to chelate up those metals that were causing the interference, I instantly was able to get a result. Now, I had to add those drops back in, which I kind of forgot to do in the beginning and my numbers were off a little bit. But here's the cool thing. So many people run their test and that's how they run them. They really don't understand how they work. They really don't understand what they are doing. And Nation, if I have not taught you anything else from this podcast, I hope it is the more you know about the things you do in the day-to-day, the better you can do them because you understand how they are getting done. When you understand how your tests work, you understand the real data that your tests are telling you. And if you're not getting the right data from your test, but you understand how the tests work, you are able to manipulate the procedures to make your tests work for that situation. Understand what you are using and you will be a fantastic industrial water treater. Nation, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Up H2O. I also want you to help me help you bring you more episodes of Scaling Up H2O. In order to do that, you've got to go to scalinguph2o.com and let me know what your show ideas are. Let me know what you want to hear on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I will get your voice on the air if you leave a recording for me. If you just leave me a show idea, I will get that idea answered for you. You might have heard on other episodes, I said one of my favorite shows of all time was Dirty Jobs hosted by Mike Rowe. I am a huge Mike Rowe fan. If you are not listening to his podcast the way I heard it, Please don't take time away from the Scaling Up H2O podcast to listen to the way I heard it. But once you're all caught up with the Scaling Up H2O podcast, go listen to Mike Rose podcast the way I heard it. And you will hear so many stories about him doing dirty jobs. And one of the things he talks about was after the first three or four episodes His whole staff was out of ideas, and that whole show was dependent on their viewers calling in and saying, come work with me. I have a dirty job. And I believe that took them through seven seasons. So learning from Mike Rowe, help me bring the Scaling Up H2O podcast to you by going to scalinguph2o.com. And if you do that, I'll have plenty of episodes to keep bringing you a new one each and every week 
like next week. And until next week gets here, I hope you have a fantastic week. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, and I'll see you next week, folks. Scaling Up Nation, if you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. And that's why joining a mastermind like the Rising Tide Mastermind is a game changer in allowing you to achieve different and better results. You have an entire team that combines to help you get to where you want to go. The Rising Tide Mastermind is the catalyst to your next level of success. To find out more about the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.